I'm Cher Miller. I'm Rob Dietz. And I'm Jason Bradford. Welcome to Crazy Town, where the only thing we can be certain of is that some overconfident man will offer us salvation. Hi, this is Crazy Town producer Melody Allison. Thanks for listening. Here in Season 5, we're exploring false prophets and the dangerous messages they're so intent on spreading. If you like what you're hearing, please let some friends know about this episode or the podcast in general. Quick warning, sometimes this podcast uses swear words. Language! Now, on to the show. Hey guys, Rob, Jason. You know, I was thinking, here we are, this is the last episode of the season. Yeah, this is you know, tough, tough uh, day, tough day. Well, I was, I was just reflecting back on kind of the ground we covered. and Yeah. And it reminded me of something that happened a few years ago, which was there's this this competition that the MacArthur Foundation, which is this really large foundation they're known for having this MacArthur, people call it genius mm-hmm. awards. That yeah, they, that probably they some of people. our false prophets have received. <laughs> Possibly, That's yeah. that would be a good thing to check out. Anyways. Yeah. They decided that they were going to go big a few years ago, and they just they had a hundred million dollar grant Jeez. that they were going to give to one organization. Go big or go home, baby. Right, and and I remember hearing from all of these people. They got excited about this prospect, and and they also had formed this huge advisory board. Lots of people that were reviewing things. In fact, our former board president Debbie Cook was on that advisory board, mm-hmm. and so. I was talking to a lot of people who were like planning on submitting a, a proposal for this, and I was asked like. Well, you yeah. should submit something. Yeah. What are you going to oh, do? Yeah. You know, come up with something that you could do for $100 million. Obviously, and, you failed. Well, we didn't submit anything. Okay. The only thing I could think of was start a cult. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Imagine starting a cult yeah. with like a, an influx of $100 million. You don't have to go small yeah. and, you know, slowly scale it up, you know. Right. Do it on some, you know, start. This is by, a lot of work. I mean, the AI cult generator that, you know, is now makes it easy. One of our, yeah, one of our sponsors would save a lot of money. Yeah. yeah but but back in that that time period, that would have been quite a bit yeah, of work. You, you yeah. Had to, you had to do it. You had to find some kind of charismatic leader. You had to find some uh, rituals, some beliefs to, to kind of like coalesce yeah. around. Brainwash people. People. And here's the thing. I was just thinking about the fact that we've done our level best yeah. trying to challenge some of the ideas of these false prophets this season. But we got to be honest, they're kicking our ass. Oh my well, gosh. Right? Nobody wants to join the organic farming limits to growth cult. I mean, it just doesn't have the same no? cachet <laughs> as the eating green cheese off the moon so, while you're uh I mean, we could have some there. sort of nature worshiping sort of like being a peasant's not a bad thing kind of cult. I think it's got to be about sex. Well, peasants we, have sex. Yeah, we tie it in together. There's a lot know. of barnyard Back sex to the going land. on, too. You can just watch. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Here, here in the Pacific Northwest, too, you got the Rajneesh cult that, that yeah, they were doing a lot good. of they were doing a lot of sex stuff there, too. Yeah. But you're right. We are not doing well compared to the sorts of cults that could spiral out from the false prophets. Well, ah. certainly... Uh, who's going to be the leader? Is that going to be one no, of us? Not, no, no way. <laughs> That's a failure of a cult right out of the gate. Yeah, yeah so we get, we'd have to recruit. We have Who to recruit? We recruit. God, it's going to be tough. I don't know. I will. Just, I think we just have to wait for the AIs to catch up to help us out with this because we're not good enough, honestly. Well, we need the AIs and we need the sort of like uh, the singularity fusion kind of like 
you know, or the weird long-termist kind of mm. breeding, the effect of altruist breeding of like the perfect human yeah. being. You but know we, what I mean? we also like, have fear on our side, right? If we go with true. the guy yeah. McPherson, we're all going to be dead in three years. We can get that cult really jumping. Yeah, That's I think, true. I think you're making a good point though. It's like, I hear this somewhere like, we need a new religion. Like we need something beyond the lay out your argument the intellectual, you know, debate sort of thing. We need something emotional. We think that grabs on, that grabs that amygdala and just sinks its nails into it, <laughs> and just you know, grabbed by the amygdala. <laughs> yeah, amygdala. It's, a, it's amygdala. Amygdala. Come on. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, I'm going to rename it in my cult. <laughs> right. This is the amygdalarian. <laughs> it's the amygdalarian. <laughs> Okay. Okay. And if you argue with me that it's you're not, out. So, you're out. So you are the cult leader then. It's oh. solved. <laughs> well, okay. Um, I think we go back to the drawing board guy because okay. we're not <laughs> not not many people signing up for the amygdalarians. I'm, I'm already tired of this cult. I want out. <laughs> um, all right. Well, let's let's get in. Here we are. This, this is our opportunity to sort of reflect on the season. All right. So. Okay. Let's talk about it. Let's uh, let's let's do a little reflection. All right, and, I'll try not to cry. I get emotional. And let's you know because we're old, our memories yeah. are addled. Yeah, we probably don't even remember. It's hard to remember what I all the about a few all the ago. false prophets that, that right. we've talked about. So I'm going to kind of reorient yeah. us. And by the way, uh, what what was the idea you proposed to the MacArthur Foundation? I I can't remember it. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> it was nothing. <laughs> uh, I'm too much of a realist to know that they would ever, ever fund anything that we would come up with. So I didn't bother. Okay, so let's reorient, okay? Yeah. We intentionally, I don't know if listeners got this, but we intentionally sort of had an, I don't know if it's an arc, but we had a process by which we ordered the the false prophets that we kind of looked at this year. So we started with a progress myth, Mm -hmm. right? That was our good buddy, Steven Pinker, and then Ray Kurzweil, two expressions of... of of the myth of progress. Then we went into neoliberalism. We got Jack Welsh. We got Bill Clinton. We got Tom Friedman. I, I was confused because I thought that part of the season was more of our impersonations time, which is yeah. where that was I, for I went, you. Went yeah. a little nuts with Bill Clinton there. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then we went into eco modernism. We spent quite a bit of time really looking at eco modernism. Yeah. We had Gates, even though we were talking about him as a philanthropist, Gates is, is very much an eco modernist. Stuart Brand, and then we had, you know, the, the two-headed beast, whatever we had called it, you know. <laughs> I can't remember. Uh, Mark Jacobson Chithula and David or, Keith. I can't remember what it is. Uh, Amigula, yeah. I think. Amigula. <laughs> right. Okay. So we had Jacobson and Keith, and then yeah. we went to effective altruism. I personally could have spent a lot more time on that, but we yeah. just focused on on our good buddy McCaskill there. Then we went into doomerism, right? Mm-hmm. So we, we talked about Moore, um, McPherson, Steve Bannon. Yep. And then we ended it with like the hybrid storm of Elon Musk, right? Who mm-hmm. sort of like manifested I, so many of the other. I bet he would like that title. I could be his nickname, hybrid Elon storm. the Hybrid Storm Musk. Yeah. <laughs> um, and of course, he's going to give us money. Yeah. Because we, we I, focus on him. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. yeah. And then I will say it's pretty obvious that there's a lot of overlapping traits between sure. these false prophets. You could have easily grouped some of them in, in different categories. So mm-hmm. it, I wouldn't say it's totally arbitrary, but obviously there's there's some permeable boundaries between these yeah. these different categories. I, I really like the groupings when we were coming up with them early in the season. It it really helped me think about 
the evolution and 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 also focusing on the ideas. I like to talk about the evolution. Yeah, yeah, that's what I talk. About. Yeah, <laughs> I wonder though, with all these false prophets that we've covered, which which one bugs us the most? You know, which which one oh. is the one that really mm. gets under your skin, and what type, that sort of thing. And I'm gonna tell you mine. because yeah. I'm I'm just itchy to do this. I remember uh, this. I remember. So this. the person is McPherson, mm-hmm. which is odd because. I don't think we rated them badly on the insufferability index or something like that. But well, not the worst. That's no, right. but the the problem is, and there's there's other doomers too that are in this. Uh, it's not even really doomers. It's guys that were in lockstep with us mm-hmm. in the things they know, the ideas that they're contributing, but then. You know, they might go seventy-five percent of the way, right? They right. might say ecosystems are imperiled. Yep. We need to think in systems. There's problems we need to deal with with the climate, that kind of thing. And then all of a sudden, they're off. The last twenty-five percent of what they would yep. say is completely yep. off the rails compared to what we would say. So, yep. like McPherson does that. He, he says, "Oh, we're just going to all be dead in three years' yeah. time." But then you had Stuart Brand, kind of that way. If you remember, I told you guys. I thought this guy was an environmental hero, but right. it turns out he's he's an eco-modernist thinking we're all going to be living in O'Neill space colonies by 1979. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I think that leads to my thought about this was that the eco-modernists were sort of the most upsetting to me because of that reason, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. And they're part of like the double downer, you know, kind of group of of people that just do more harder of what gotten us into this mess. And in particular... What bothered me was the Jacobson and Keith with the the species I call the complexa fixer. You know, just the extreme engineering our way kind of solutionism that really bought because the me. system either doesn't need to change, how we're living doesn't need to change, right. or it won't change basically. Right. So and they just this, they, their right. their ideas are so out of whack scale wise of what is remotely possible. But it's true that they're proximate to us in the sense that I genuinely believe they share yeah. the same concerns. Totally. Deeply. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of them are right. Same problem I have. Like, right. I, I feel like uh, Mark Jacobson, we come at it from the same angle. Like, oh, here's a problem. I want to solve it. And the solution set is uh, very frustrating. Yes. Yeah. I think for me, it's funny. Like, it's, it's probably the progress myth hmm. because – not only is it so ubiquitous, it's like uh, kind of unquestioned a little bit. It's so pervasive. And so to have people who are kind of purveying that and reinforcing it when it just feels like utter denial mm-hmm. of of what we're facing. But it's funny because the two guys that we, we picked for that, I have really different reactions to. Like I had a lot of fun doing the Kurzweil episode. Yeah, I gotta be honest. Like yeah, I enjoyed is, it because it was so fucking outlandish. outlandish. Yeah, computronium. You know what I mean, computronium. Like best, I still can't it's the get best over thing. it. I mean, that's I just the, can't get over it. Yeah, you know. Whereas Pinker was, in some ways, I don't think we scored him super high in the insufferability index, but a guy that genuinely gets under my skin. Yeah, I would much rather hang out with Kurzweil than Pinker. Kurzweil would be kind of fun to hang out with. And you you might actually get a a nanobot cleanse if you hang with (laughs) Kurzweil. But no, I think Kurzweil is just so geeked out, you know, that he he just believes kind of impossible things, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas Pinker's like, God damn it. Yeah. We have to keep enlightenment and all the benefits of all this stuff. So I'm going to absolutely resist any idea that there are limits to anything. Right. You know what I mean? And fuck you for like questioning me. Right. 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 And and so that definitely 
gets under my skin for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, that's good. I mean, you you just did that without any blood coming out of any of your no, orifices. There were, which... there were a few. Uh, we definitely need Curtis's you know, language. Uh, to well, there, there were thing. times this season. I thought you were going to just flip your lid. <laughs> yeah. We've gone. We've processed a lot. I think we're able with more equanimity now to talk about this. I, feel uh, I don't know, man. Uh, we'll see. Jury's we'll, we'll still see. out. <laughs> Let's talk about some, some of the commonalities and themes across our false prophets. I mean, we talked about how they, you know, the boundaries between some yeah. of these different groupings are, are not fixed necessarily, but any other commonalities? Well, you remember that in the phylogenetic treatment that I hypothesized that hubris mm, was right. the common trait of all species of false prophets, whereas the outgroup, the, the peasants, the humble peasant, you know, lack that. Yeah. And so I think that's a key one. And you see this, of course, with a lot of like you're saying, Pinker is just like, don't even, if you dare, you know, a lot of these people just get so upset. Like they don't want to have these nuanced conversations. They also tend to be very self-promotional. I mean, that's why they're well-known and famous in a sense, and their ideas are out there. And But you get this sense that these people think very highly of themselves. And then this this leads to this overconfidence, this false certainty. So those are the kind of traits I, I see. I think there's things that we could learn from them. I mean, I decided that I was, you know, they have decals on cars. Yeah. I, I got a, a picture of myself Good. and I put it on the side of the yeah. car because I'm yeah. trying to embody more of that like right. self-promotion thing. Sure. Yeah. And might as well put a Crazy Town sticker on it. Yeah. Too. Yeah. 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 I, don't, I, don't, I don't think I'd key anyone's car that had a picture of themselves on it. I mean, no, that would be, I would never do something like <laughs> <No>. that. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so some of those traits you just mentioned, the overconfidence, the false sense of certainty, it kind of leads into another common thread, which is every single one of our false prophets is a man. Yeah. There's this this inherent maleness into the selections. And it wasn't really on purpose, but I, I think it obviously comes down to some of those traits. But right. it really makes me wonder, how the hell do we have a taxonomy if it's all males? Like, how <laughs> were there any ever any offspring for this, these species? <laughs> right. Valid question. Very good question. I'll have to look into that. Yeah. I'll get back it's to It's like you. a Jurassic this Park thing. This is a very thing. deep yeah. biological right. well, yeah. self-fertilizing. Kurzweil, Kurzweil is the one who Oh, right. <laughs> That's the origin story. What was the, what was the title <laughs> of that episode? How to Have Sex with Yourself? Yeah, yeah. I think we just solved our own question. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I guess the you know, power and status issues come up then a lot, okay? Which is typical. Um, males often, I mean, it is, it's not true, but it's more of these maybe like, you know, 90% of the problem of this these kind of dynamics tend to be male. We should We could probably find plenty of examples of women who would have these similar issues, but I think this is a this is definitely a, a a thing where you get this power and status through your personality, through your self promotion, or your circumstances, and or your luck that you fall into, right. and then you get too much attention. You become so successful, people start calling you these wonderful things. You win MacArthur Genius Awards. You know, right. you get on the Late Show. Yeah. Uh, You've got. You got heads of state on speed dial on your phone, yes, and you then you have to let people know about it. You have it. a yeah. picture of yourself decaled to your car. <laughs> yeah. You win hey. giant NSF grants. You have this big famous Best lab. You, get, you can sell, you can charge $100,000 to go to a speaking gig. And so once you're out there so much, then I think it becomes very hard to not do anything but double down on whatever position you took. So there might be a critique out there that's valid. But honestly, how hard would it be to listen to that and like say and change your mind when that's what you're known for? Yeah. Now, 
Jason, I, I got to admit, I've been a little jealous of all the work that you've done, you know, on your on your paper, the taxonomy thing. I can feel did, that. I understand. Yeah. Fame, he's like one of the guys that he was just describing right. now. He's out on the road charging a hundred grand to talk about the uh, false profit taxonomy. Right. For um, Well, for supporters of the crazy town, though, I, I, I get discount? very good rates, very discount rates. Just <laughs> lo- let me know. Contact me. So I decided I'm going to come up with my own equation. Okay. Right. And it's as scientific as like economic equations. Sure. And, you know, yeah, these right. Things, right. Yeah. So so, so here's, you know, thinking about commonalities. Or you could think of this as like a recipe you sure. know, for how for, to create a, a false profit. A false profit souffle. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Just go. <laughs> yeah. So you start with uh, a little dab of uh, family history trauma, cool. trauma in the family or trauma sure. in your family history. Sure. You know, some of our false profits, we talked about them as coming from basically sec- second generation Holocaust sure. or coming from families that have suffered from pogroms and other kinds of things. Yeah. So trauma in the family. Disconnection from nature, you know, growing up in cities, not not having uh, experiences out in nature, coming from circumstances where there's a high premium on education, yep. right? Probably, I would say, these guys all have fairly high mental aptitude, mm-hmm. you know, if you tested them on those kind of traditional Yep, a lot of advanced degrees. And then a lot of them growing up in the baby boomer generation, which has sure. sort of the biggest period of a great acceleration. The Donald know, Fagan seen. era is sort of what we kind of talk yeah. about, right? With So you put those, all those pieces together and yeah. there you get, you get a shit show souffle yeah. or you get, you know. Stir that up. And <laughs> have you, uh, have you got problem. the coefficients on each of those yeah. variables and the. Still working on it. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Plenty of room in the, uh, in the literature to, yes. uh, to advance that. Well, I, you know, what you say ties into sort of what I was also thinking about was that a lot of these folks seem not to have a very good connection to the material world. Mm. You know, even maybe say there's engineers involved and scientists, but they're very academic-y, right? It's, it's, it's looking at things at the, at the scale of these pilot projects or whatever. And I've got and, a spreadsheet and, and for that. spreadsheets for this sort like, of stuff. Why I love saying that. Right. And so you see that and then you go, but... Once you start to actually do think work in the material world, you realize it becomes so visceral to you like, boy, things are a lot harder logistically and practically than I imagined. Almost every, and this is what farming kicks your ass. It's like you realize nothing's going to go to plan, things are going to break, and stuff is going to come at you that you cannot expect or predict. And you have to adapt all the time and make do with your circumstances. And it's very hard to be precious or perfect. And it's very a humbling experience. So I think a lot of these folks, whether they're academics or politicians, business tycoons, they tend to live high in what we've referred to in previous years as this tertiary economy world mm-hmm. and distant from the real world practical experiences. Well, and perhaps it's not a coincidence that our only ecologist amongst the false prophets says we're all going to be dead in three years. <laughs> maybe going a little over that's the top like, yeah, the, that yeah, way, yeah, but... That's not good. But uh, yeah, maybe that's maybe that says something. I don't know. Hey, over the course of the season two, we had some thoughts from listeners about other people we should cover, yeah. and we just wanted to let folks know that we kind of you know in the early going and in the course of of picking these folks that we had others on the list that we thought of, but for whatever reason ended up making it. The one that I'm most disappointed about was a kind of a guru of the hydrogen economy 
And that's Arnold Schwarzenegger. You just wanted to do his accent. You, that's the only reason. That's the only reason. You're so right on. I wanted to do his whole gun speech from the uh, from the Terminator. I what like, a, go ahead. Go ahead. The Uzi 9mm, the 45 long slide with laser sighting, 12-gauge autoloader, face okay. plasma rifle in the 40-watt range. See, he got, we got it in for you. Thank you. Yeah, okay. Just, that's that was, all That wasn't needed. even a good one either. It was pretty bad. <laughs> But uh, we could have had a whole episode with the three of us doing Arnold. uh, Oh, my God. Yeah. No, uh, I th- I think we left him out because he he was really more of like a gullible promoter of this stuff. Right. He wasn't the technologist. Yeah, like he's a, a man chiller. Yeah. 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 Anyway. Sorry, buddy. Yeah. You you got some other accents. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, there's some other obvious ones, right? We we talked about doing Mark Zuckerberg, mm-hmm. right? Impact of of social media. Jeff Bezos, who we've talked about at different times, you know, over mm-hmm. the seasons at Crazy Town. There's a lot that could be said about about that dude, and then Donald Trump, but you know. Too much in the news, no need to talk about no. him or any, really any of those guys. Yes. I I think I maybe I put on the list, I'm not sure, but George Mombio has been kind of like driving me crazy lately. And I know Rob is a big fan of his writing and he writes for The Guardian and he's you know British journalist and very much you think, oh my God, over the years, Mombio would totally be up. But I think you know, what happened is he's totally been, just like the environmental movement in general, totally swayed and moved into the eco-modernist side of things and talks a lot about faux food and things I do care about, like rewilding, but I think it just goes about it completely wrong. So I I really kind of, we could have done an episode on that. I couldn't, uh, I had to veto it because, I mean, you're right. He talks about fake meat and Petri dishes and stuff that's like, yeah, this really isn't the way. But I think that's probably out of panic of, just witnessing what's going on in the environmental world. I think he's grasping at straws at times, but it would be interesting to talk to him and find out because I think he would at least have an earnest discussion and be in a nuanced space with it. He wouldn't just... uh, I don't think anymore he is. I don't know. I think he's really dug his heels It's interesting because, Rob, you talked about how upsetting Guy McPherson was to you because he was proximate to us in a lot of ways and you're upset with mom for the same reason same reason yeah yeah Yeah, i think he's dug in more than you know because i've fallen the food stuff more yeah maybe so but Mm -hmm. it it would be interesting to ask him and see maybe maybe we'll try maybe we'll see if he'll uh he probably won't want to talk to you after <laughs> after your recommendation of turning him into a false prophet. I had wanted to do Gerard Barron, who uh-huh. nobody knows That's about. A, really, that would have been a great one. So he's he's the CEO of the Metals Company, uh, the Australian mining dude who who presents himself as a, as a real dedicated environmentalist, and their company presents as like insane utopian vision of deep sea mining for minerals yeah. because you know we need a lot of minerals for the energy transition right? there happens to be these nodules lying at the bottom of the ocean yeah. but they're you know ten thousand feet down kind of thing yeah, and they're like oh we could we could just suck those up no problem won't be any damage you know elon no, musk has a no sub waste. that can go pick those up sure yeah. um, pick up a thai soccer player and uh, <laughs> some some metals and they're t- you know they're talking about like they're going to set up a metals common and we're going to do perpetual recycling so we could just like this beautiful, perfect circular economy, mm-hmm. all to justify basically raping and pillaging the last remaining bits of untouched natural ecosystems. There know. are quite a bit of amazing creatures living down there. Yeah, yeah, but perpetual, circular. <laughs> Listen to the words. Yeah. 
I think we're going to hear a lot more about this in the next few years. I think this 100%. is going to be a big, this is going to be a going huge, to rush into that. Yeah. huge story. So totally. thanks for flagging that. You know, the classic, this guy's been around for a long time. We didn't cover him. Bjorn Lomborg, he's basically Manschiller cloaked in environmentalism and sort of rational economic arguments. Uh, I don't know why we didn't choose him. I guess maybe he's not as big a ideologist. But anyway, we didn't pick him. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I also think his arguments about climate's not really a pressing problem. You know, it's just like, okay, we don't, we probably don't need to cover him. Anybody yeah. that's listening to this show is going to be like, yeah, yeah. Right. The other uh, last few that I want to bring up uh, is kind of a triumvirate. Elizabeth Holmes, which would have been a, a female. Yeah. Uh, that's unusual for us. But, but also, she did fake her voice to be kind of deep. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then also Adam Newman and, and Sam Bankman Freed. And of course, those three are exemplars of Silicon Valley capitalism. You're going to say who Adam Newman is because people probably uh, he, he was the WeWork guy. Right. And Sam Bankman Freed is the, the crypto mm-hmm. uh, bazillionaire. Mm-hmm. He's now headed to jail. So, yeah, just looking at overdoing it in the whole business uh, and, and investing world. Well, offering, basically offering like magical answers yes. to things but and the, basically nothing there. conning people. Yeah. Yeah. Another sort of review of the season that I want to bring up is the load of toxicity that kind of got dumped on us. And Alana, our, our star yeah. researcher, brought this up first because she was ahead of us yeah. in diving into these people. And it, I mean, it takes its toll. I feel like early in the sea, we were like bright eyed, bushy little <laughs> squirrels gathering acorns. Now we gained 10 Now years. we're like the roadkill. The car ran over us. The only thing that's left is our tail waving in the wind, but our guts are splayed out all over. Okay, that's enough of that imagery. Yeah, but, yeah but, we're in heroin slumps all the time. Yeah. It's, um, well, that's why Tom Friedman's got ambulances ready for, you know, all these. Uh, <laughs> oh, right, right. He's got a blood bank on the racetrack. <laughs> exactly. I remember that story. Yeah, yeah but no, it, it just, uh, it's hard to look at these false prophet ideologies that are so much more mainstream than what we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the truth is we were getting, I think, increasingly over the course of the season, getting sort of crabbier and crabbier. I think the the guy McPherson one almost broke us a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Know? We used to, before each episode, we'd like tell jokes and make each other laugh. And this season we just punch each yeah, other in the face. <laughs> <laughs> I think I got a taste of this because as I was writing the taxonomy paper, I was sort of surveying the landscape in, in kind of more depth than you guys. You were sort of waiting for Alana to get ahead enough. And but I was really delving in and and creating a guy own sort of schema, obviously. So, yeah, I felt it. I think I felt it earlier on than you guys maybe did. Yeah. So anybody out there, you ever meet us, we just need a hug. (laughs) (laughs) But not from these guys. Not the false problem. Oh, come on. You know you'd like a big Steve Pinker hug. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right. I want a Steve Bannon hug. Who would you rather, who would you most want to be hugged by? (laughs) That's a good question. Uh, that is a good question. Uh, I don't Ray Kurzweil, maybe. I think Ray Kurzweil. Yeah. I'm going with Ray. Okay. <laughs> I'm I'm going off the charts. I'm going back to Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> Those giant pecs crushing me in his uh, man arms. Have, I'll let you have that. <laughs> um, <laughs> last thing I would just sort of say, you know, about the season is that we also did struggle, I think, with that balance of critiquing and criticizing and not being just like 100% dicks right. know, to the in and, and 
And I gotta say, it was a fine line in some cases. Yeah. Sometimes we because crossed. the people themselves yeah. rankled us. But you know, we're we're we chose we actually did this season because we really wanted to talk about the false ideas. And we were using in some ways the false prophets as the vehicle for that. But we yeah. had to talk about these people. Do you know what I mean? And it's it's easy. Maybe sometimes it became too easy to sort of mock or whatever. And I don't think we were trying to be super hurtful you know some of them yeah. deserve it I, I mean i do remember <laughs> as we were getting going on the season kind of debating that like, right do we yeah. even do this because you know do we want to be making fun of somebody like that right right and we decided to focus on people that were in the public eye right right on some level and were actually out there publicly advocating for something yeah do you know what i mean they they chose they weren't just like toiling away as an academic Working on some paper like like Jason Bradford or something, <laughs> you know what I mean? They were, you know, and then we're going to go shit all over them, you know, what <laughs> right. I mean, for their ideas. There were people who were actually out very, there. They were self promoters. A lot of these these guys are yeah. self promoters. Various degrees of it, but yeah. for sure. Thanks for listening. If you've made it this far, then maybe you actually like the show. If that's true, then there's one very simple thing you can do to help us out. Share the podcast or even just this episode. Think of three people you know who would get a kick out of Crazy Town. Use your podcast app to share it or send a text or go way old school and tell them face to face. Let's build a Crazy Town community so that one day we might be able to escape it. Three friends, please share. Okay, well, there's no false prophet to to key out and discuss, but I kind of want to talk about the taxonomic treatment and the typology. Of course you do. Okay. It's one of my favorite. <laughs> I've never seen you so proud. It, well, it's the best best work. Well, what about the 134 birds that he saw in the county this month? I think he's <laughs> prouder true. of that. That might be true. Yeah. Okay. It's a, it's a toss-up. It's a toss-up. Toss yeah. toss I also like my dog and proud of my family. Anyway. Um, <laughs> Those are third and fourth. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So a couple of questions come to mind. Could I have done better? Are there things I missed out on? And I think actually, if, I, if I'm going to be if honest- If you're a true or false prophet, you'd say, no, of course not. But I'm going to be honest with myself. Okay. And I think I missed a couple things maybe hmm. that I could have added. And so one, I might have called this species the uh, illiberati. And these are the ironically sort of intolerant people who think they're being hyper-tolerant. Hmm. Um, they might even burn books- they lean towards authoritarianism, but they're very lefty. Mm-hmm. And a good example of this would be that there's a podcast came out called The Witch Trials of J.K. Rowling. And it kind of goes over sort of the, the attitudes of maybe this, this species, the Illiberati. Okay. Another one that we explained in our intro episode was the obviously, obviously right-wing authoritarian type figures. And and they may also, they're also into book burning, <laughs> yeah. but they're also into assault weapons. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they say things like sovereign citizenship and yeah. Al-Qaeda. So, like, we might be, we're talking about the, 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 um, what, the Bundys, the Al-Qaeda's, remember that? <laughs> yeah. that? That was a great term. <laughs> Maybe this species I'd call the uh, Patriots. So, you know, because they, they, they all they call themselves patriots, you know. I- I'm and, sorry. Yeah, I, patriarchy also. Yes. I'm struggling with a verbal response because I'm just thinking of, can you take a pile of books and start a fire by shooting an automatic weapon at <laughs> right, it? Right. That, we should ask the Mythbusters guys to check yeah. it out. It's interesting that you bring that up because I think that I would say if you look at the false prophets that we picked, 
you know, if you try to look at them from a political lens, when you get to Bannon and and maybe more, I don't know. Yeah, which is more politics. Like, but for the most part, they're probably skew more in the liberal side of the political equation, or at least the liberal that will destroy any lefty notion, like Bill Clinton. Sure, (laughs) but you know, there's a ton of false dangerous ideas that are coming from the political right that yes. we didn't really get into. Well, the Bannon um, episode was probably the most we went into this. Yeah. And so this group I just called the the Patronauts yeah. would likely be allied with with sort of the Bannon side of thing. And I did talk about, we did talk about in that episode with Bannon, the difference between liberalism and traditionalism. Yeah. And so it may fall in this, and we did bring up accelerationism, but we didn't we didn't cover that side of the of things as much. And, well, it, and I guess my point is, it may be half of the picture. Do you know uh-huh. what I mean? Or maybe it's more than half of the picture. I don't know. Just in terms of like when you think about the ecosystem of false prophets, false ideas, right. and influence out in the public yes. sphere. Yeah, we focused on things that are, probably are closer to our camp, which is part of why we did it because there right. there are people who are actually somewhat engaging the issues that we're concerned all, about. All this means to me is Jason's got all kinds of opportunity to Next publish season. in nature and <laughs> science <laughs> right. in uh, the popular press. He's going to be making the, the tour of talk shows. Totally. And I, there actually were a couple of false prophet species that were in the, in the paper that we didn't even cover. Right. So there's the Qfluencer, <laughs> right? So QAnon is just absolutely, we just, it's too easy, right? Yeah. But then there's the whole group of what we call the evolutionarily enlightenment movement. And I think I call them like Conevolver or something like that. So they basically, it's like, you know, you, you're going to become one with the cosmos through meditation and ayahuasca ingestion. And, and, and so anyway, go to the paper. I feel there's a lot of value there. I, I could add a couple things to it. And, but that's the thing. Science is always advancing. If uh, it's in progressing, total, it's progressing. Okay, oh, maybe uh, Pinker is right. Yeah, maybe. infinitely growing science. <laughs> okay, so this being our final episode of the season, sort of a chance for us to reflect. I was thinking a bit about what are the lingering questions for me, or takeaways, or lessons that we got from from talking about these false prophets, and and the. Th- Thing is, uh, I don't know. What, what are the questions that come to your guys' minds? Well, the, the first one that, that I thought of is, why the hell are we, the three of us and the people that we work with, so in the minority mm-hmm. of ideas? Like any one of these false prophets. Okay, some of them like Elon Musk, who's got more money than he knows what to do with and owns Twitter. Of yeah. course, he can get his message out more widely than we can. But why are there messages... In the majority, these delusional messages, and our messages aren't, and I'm sure there's a lot of reasons for it, but one of the things that came to mind for me is the people that were coming up with limits to growth and and, and how to make a non-growing economy, you know, people like Donella Meadows, Herman Daly, E.F. Schumacher. Mm-hmm. Wendell like, Berry. Yeah, their heyday was in the early 70s. It's mm-hmm. almost like it was quaint and it's no longer the next shiny new thing. So even though it it feels like a philosophy so needed today, even more so than it was at the time they came up with it, it's just not going to hold sway. You could say that it's it's quaint or passe or whatever, but it was also very intentionally and strategically attacked these ideas, right? Like yeah. if you think about, we talked about the Powell memo and yeah. coordinated efforts to basically, one, I think the system 
adapting itself and not wanting to change into something other than than capitalism uh, as we know it. But yeah, do you think a lot of actors who are pushing a neoliberal agenda and saw environmentalism and yeah. saw these other things, cultural norms changing as a as a true threat, and they went on the fucking warpath. You Would know? you say that there's any sort of movements that are maybe partial, but but really aligned with us that are on the ascendancy now? I can think of people talk about regenerative ag is now a, a big thing, yeah. or I don't know how big it is, but idea wise, it's the degrowth movement, the donut economics. There may be a few things like that. I Anything think else? People turning towards more indigenous perspectives. Yeah, Robin Wall Kimmer's uh, work. Yeah. yeah. I think a lot of younger people look at stuff like voluntary simplicity as probably a good idea, especially because they can't afford anything anyway. Because it's involuntary. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Well, but I think to answer, it's not like it's an answer, but one possible answer to your question about why we're so in the minority, I, th- I think it's also because the closer we get, the deeper we're, we're going into this unraveling, right, of social and environmental systems the more desperate we are for solutions or mm. or to kind of live in denial. You know, there's like, a, yeah. I don't know if it's just an allegory or whatever. No, it's a real story. <laughs> How do you know what I'm talking about? I know. Just gonna see. There are like, <laughs> I think studies done about people and asking them about the risk of a dam failure. I mean, That's the, the one I was thinking. And of. the closer that people <laughs> live to the actual dam, the less they saw it as a risk. Right. Right. Because it was more existential of a threat, mm-hmm. you know? So I do think that that might be a big factor as to why... And unfortunately, it may may make it even harder, right. you know, for us as we get deeper into this stuff. Yeah. Well, I also think these false prophets. I mean, you talked about it with them being overconfident, Jason, and and full of certainty. Because of that, I think they offer something that sounds okay if you're not well studied or, right. or you're not well educated, and and they, it's something people want to hear. Whereas the message of hey, there are limits to growth. Maybe think about sharing stuff a little bit more, maybe uh, power down. That's not as sticky. There's a lot more nuance in it. It requires certainly a lot more of a systems thinking uh, approach and probably a lot more sacrifice than anybody's yeah, uh, wanting the, to consider. And the messages of consumer culture are really not supportive of that. No. <laughs> well, and, and they're providing certainty, right? A certainty and and sort of hope. Whereas we're providing uncertainty, right. nuance, and a reckoning. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's kind of hard. So we, you, the <laughs> three of us need to go to Wharton School or Harvard Business School and get some good marketing courses, Do you obviously. want this cheap McDonald's hamburger or do you want this shit burger over here? Which, which <laughs> one do you want? <laughs> so here's another question I've been thinking about, which is, is it possible to change minds? Nope. Uh, are we done? <laughs> done. Easy question to answer. Well, Moving a, on. Of course, there was a uh, Michael Pollan book about psychedelics. So there's yeah. a way to maybe make your mind more open to change using drugs. Oh, so we should just drugs. basically massive batches of psilocybin that we're going to drop in the public water supply? Or LSD. That's what was, that was the old school talk discussion. Sure. Yeah. Because it's yeah. easy to synthesize in large volume. I, I liked his description of the book of the, whatever that toad licking one is. <laughs> He's like, right. I did not like this experience. It was like being shot to the moon. Uh, maybe it was like an Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos uh, space exploration. <laughs> Dude, I, I have to tell a little side story. Okay. The Grateful Dead. Yeah. I think it was 1969. They were invited onto this show called Playboy After Dark. Okay. okay who Hugh Hefner had on. Yeah. And it was actually, I don't know what it was on, but it was like recorded on video. 
and you like walk in with this camera and Hugh Hefner is like wearing a smoking jacket and there are sure. all these young women dressed up and all this stuff. And then here come these fucking hippies. <laughs> do you know what I mean? And the crew for the dead put acid in the coffee oh, no for everybody. Way. They dosed everybody at this party. So like oh my you could start seeing these people starting to like, what the fuck is going <laughs> what on? What happened? I'm yeah. feeling funny. And they try to hold it together. Yeah. So, oh my gosh. Well, there is there's the drug way of doing it, but also, <laughs> you know, you can take these person. There's the big five personality traits, and one of them is like the spectrum of openness. So mm. how open you are. So certain people are just going to be predisposed to having their mind being changed. Well, that might make a big difference. I mean, there's uh, again, this stat is not verified, but people say you really need like 25 percent of the population to really believe in something to get that change and. So maybe it's trying to find the 25 that have a, what was that, a high openness coefficient? Yeah, whether natural or induced. Right, <laughs> right yeah. We can increase the coefficient. Maybe. Uh, Crazy Town does not uh, support <laughs> putting <laughs> putting any kind of drugs in anyone's coffee ever. Yeah. We don't even want caffeine sugar. in there. No sugar. Yeah. I got to say, I started to be the downer in all this, but I, I got to say that it's great that there's some people that have openness as a, as a personality trait, but I am really concerned about the tendency that we're going to have, I think, of more rigid thinking when you kind of mix this cocktail of uncertainty and fear and crises happening and sort of the tendency to resort to tribalism, mm-hmm. you know, for, for a sense of security. And then you got technology-fueled polarization that's happening. And then the dynamic of, like, people with these rigid, fixed, extreme positions, right. you know, whatever they are, being on the opposing sides of one another, just reinforcing the other side, right? Because now, so have you seen any of this happening no, never. in uh, recent times? I mean, you obviously <laughs> have that as political polarization that we're having in this country, but it's just going to be really hard, I think, for openness and people to change their minds yes. when we're faced with all of this stuff and all this uncertainty. Now, can right? I give you a little bit of hope, maybe? Please. Okay. Please, okay, a couple of things come to mind, and... and this is not that hopeful, but I, I'm trying. Okay, it's all okay. relative. <laughs> yeah. It's all on a relative yeah. scale, dude. Yeah, it is. Do something. Okay, 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 okay. okay. <laughs> First of all, you know, that people talk about the generational shift, so young people are much more... All right, old. so we're all dying off. That's the hope. Yes. Okay, okay. good. The old people nice. die off. Young people have less lock into our current system. You know, they they, aren't, yeah. they don't have a mortgage and jobs and investments. And well, that's great market. news. <laughs> I'm sure they think that's great news. No it, mortgage. No yeah. home. No uh, right. no prospects. But no not, food. Well, there's the whole idea of loss aversion. People are very nervous about sure. losing what they already have. That's but if true. you're young... If you got nothing... You're more flexible and you have less to lose at the moment. Right. So that's a big deal. And so when... When the young creates new social norms, it does lead to then older people, a certain percentage of them, you know, Archie Bunkers of the world, changing a little bit. It's true. You see this. You look at polls of generations asking people about their views on capitalism, degrowth, you know, all these things that skew much younger towards kinds of the things that we we talk about as being necessary. I don't know. Right? It's like we are hip. Like when we talk, we're like we're like we're we like are the so in, hip. We're like the in crowd. We're like the hip. Every young listener people. right now is rolling their eyes. Yeah, I don't even know what you're talking about. Uh, hip? Yeah, my hip hurts. Yeah. <laughs> okay. The other thing is that we have two opposing forces at work going on. We have the material conditions yeah. are going to be so disruptive, like you're talking about, yeah. that it leads to stress. And that leaves the opening for new ideas to come in that better explain reality. Hmm. 
And that is a positive. But then on the other side, I acknowledge that that, that same stress leads to the tension that you're seeing or the worry you see of making people more conservative, tribally affiliated, locked into beliefs. But I think that it's both at the same time, right? right. There's some yin-yangy thing or whatever. So you're actually basically speaking post-carbon institutes theory of change in some ways. And, oh. and Rob, you talked about this earlier. We talked about what 25% of the population, and that gets to to the theory of d- diffusion of innovations, which I don't know if we talked before about on, on this podcast, but Diffusion of innovation is basically like this theory that has actually been tested in a lot of different conditions and, and situations of how you can call them new technologies or you can talk about them new behaviors, new norms are adopted, right? Mm-hmm. So you have this bell-shaped distribution. You've got your innovators, which is a small percentage, very small percentage of the population. Then you got your early adopters. Yep. And then you have this set of early majority, late majority, and laggards, yep. right? And so it's sort of this distribution. So. The key thing there is having these innovators and early adopters developing these alternatives right. and you know, keeping those ideas alive, which is where the shock doctrine comes in. That's the other half of our theory of change, right? right. It's diffusion of innovation on one hand, of how new behaviors get adopted, and that meets the shock doctrine, right. which is basically, look, shocks happen, and when crises occur, you know, according to Milton Friedman's famous quote, that ideas that are politically untenable or implausible right. become inevitable, right? Yeah. So what you have to do is develop these ideas and keep them alive for when crises create that opportunity. Now, you have, as you just talked about, we're going to see lots of regressive, negative, wrongly directional solutions being offered out there in response to these crises right. that we're going to have to be competing with in a sense, yes. right? But there's still an opportunity there as these shocks happen, for people to turn to new ideas and new solutions. And that's why we have to support this community of of innovators and early adopters to, to sort of keep those things alive and develop those. Do you feel better now? A little bit. Okay, okay. Good. I'm glad better. I led you to that. I yeah. feel better because I was just thinking how Ray Kurzweil is an early adopter, or actually the innovator <laughs> yeah. of nanobot computronium uh, solutions, and I'm just a laggard. Yeah. You are a laggard. Right. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> no well, blue nanobots for you, buddy. Uh, I, I believe one of the most important things that we can do right now is be comfortable with uncertainty. Be willing to see things in these shades of gray, avoid the black and white thinking. And I know that PCI is part of this liminality network. I think liminal space is a really interesting way to think about this. It's sort of the space in between two conditions, right? And understanding that you're in this in-between space, in-between time. And so what, what we are trying to do, in a sense, is figure out how to stay in that space, how to be on that kind of tightrope walk between understanding that there's an incredible scale and scope of change that needs to happen. And that is overwhelming when you think about it. But you also can't be so overwhelmed that you, you can't do anything. You're, you're demotivated. Yeah, I love the word liminality. And thinking about liminal spaces, and and it's actually used as a term not just for being sort of on a threshold between two spaces, but it's also often used to talk about rites of passages. Oh, interesting, yeah. And so, yeah, Post Carbon helped launch, and now we're we're hosting this global network that we call the Liminality Network specifically yeah. because it was designed to help explore that uncertainty and to stay in that space. And and we've advocated resilience, right? Community resilience. We have a website called resilience.org for a super long time. We have papers that we've written. We wrote a whole book called The Community Resilience Reader. But I was thinking a lot recently about 
properties of resilient systems mm-hmm. and flexibility as one of those properties that you almost can't emphasize enough, you know? Uh-huh. And it's like having that mentality of being able to to live with that uncertainty right. and being flexible because the truth is we don't know. I mean, we sit here and we critique these false prophets who present these certain pictures of like, we can solve this problem this way or that way or that way, or we're going to go conquer the, all the stars in the sky. And we're like, no, that's not going to happen. But we don't ex- actually ourselves know how things are going right. to unfold. So living with that uncertainty is really key and doing it with other people and not feeling alone with it because that's really yeah, tough. And that's part of why we did this podcast is yeah. for our, our, ourselves and our listeners to not feel alone yeah. with all of that uncertainty. Yeah, I think if you want to take the idea of liminal spaces and what you're talking about, living with uncertainty into a a practical arena, why not technology? Mm -hmm. Like I often ask the question, how much technology is enough, right? You have the Luddites or the Amish or groups that have said, we're going to call a point of of how much is enough. But our society tends to say there is no limit to it. More technology is always better. I've got a clear limit. It's the Bezos line, and it's where... I still want to be able to have one of those little Amazon buttons, oh, you know, yeah. when I run out of toilet paper, I can just push the button yeah. and they send it to me. Can we just make that the... <laughs> yeah, the Bezos line. The Bezos line. The, like that's that. the minimum threshold okay. of technology. Is I, that cool? I, I, it, not cool. <laughs> not, not cool. I mean, I think there's a Goldilocks somewhere in here, right? Yeah. Too little and maybe you're living a, a difficult life and you're undermining the life support systems of the planet, but... This is an open question. We're not going to answer it, but you know, how in the world can society decide on on where that is, other than the uh, the Bezos toilet paper button? The problem is that society is not deciding. Right, yeah. we're quote unquote letting the market decide, which right. is all geared towards no limits. Uh, that's a big problem. I, I, you know, I struggle with this question too, Rob, because I don't have an answer to this. Like, what level of complexity and globalization do we need? Like, let's say we're going to scale way down, but we still want technology, right? And we yeah. want renewables. So we're going to live more agrarian lives. The future is rural, but we still want to have some technology. I'd like, you know, right. our village to have some solar panels, even if we're not consuming as much electricity as as we've been. Yeah. But what level of complexity and globalization and systems do we need to get just that that one that solar, bank yeah. of solar panels right. in my little well, eco village. I'll say right. not as much as a phalanx of nuclear power plants, but sure. uh, still, yeah, maybe. No, yeah. It, it, that is a tough one. And I think about this all the time because my farming I do and my son Davis is really into sort of electronics and we're electrifying a tractor. And I can tell you that there's so many details that you have to sort through. And we do worry like, oh, actually there's little like microchips in here that Make sure our control system for, you know, when you thumb throttle or whatever, that the power gets distributed and the batteries don't fry, you know, or it's ridiculous how complex this all is. And I don't know the answer, but there was an interesting discussion on uh, on Nate Hagen's podcast, The Great Simplification with Simon Michaud, where he was talking about trying to get these engineers in Finland where he's based, these are students, to imagine a cell phone that wasn't a smartphone, but it was just like, you can call and you can text, and that's all. And you can only get materials within a 1,000 kilometers of where we're sitting right now. Mm. What would you do? And they basically came up with something. And it was like, you know, if you can simplify down to levels of technology that are not as grand, as refined, as complex as we have today, there's a lot actually we've figured out 
that you may be with, say, 3D printing and simpler materials, less purity requirements, not quite as quote-unquote efficient as we have now. But so can we do this for all kinds of stuff? Can yeah. we make the solar yeah. panels that you can actually remake regionally? And can we make the, the computer chips that can allow you to have control systems for electronics but don't require like the super clean rooms? I think these are great questions. It's interesting. You guys know that I biked down here yesterday to do this podcast from Portland. Very good. In a, Very good. In a moment, well, it's a moment of uh, footprint lowering madness. Okay, <laughs> right. so my legs are pretty tired. But no, one of the things I was thinking about while riding is just how we could have a far simpler amount of technology. You know, as I'm coming down on the bike, I'm just getting slammed by cars and trucks yeah, and scary. stuff going by. And But then there were other parts of the trip where I was literally on this narrow wooded path with birds chirping right, and streams right. flowing by. And there were other pedestrians and scooterers and cyclists. And what a missed opportunity for us to actually have regional transportation networks like that, yeah. Dedic- like a small amount of space, still plenty of room for nature. To me, that's kind of an example of a level of technology that we could mm-hmm. have that would be helpful, make our lives better without beating the shit out of uh, uh, of the wilderness and, oh, and nature. I know. Bike paths between towns would be so amazing, wouldn't it? Oh, Yeah. Well, necessity may may uh, That's right. <laughs> may hasten that. That's right. Okay, I, I'm the question guy today. This I, is awesome. Here's some here's some other big you know here's another big question. All right, hit me. That this season has brought up for me. What if we are wrong? Yeah, but we're not. That, <laughs> but that question, I mean, I I I wonder if how many of our false prophets wrestle with that question themselves. I mean, they certainly come across as being quite certain. Yeah. In their beliefs. Maybe at they'll night. even sue you. Well, some of them, if yeah. you get challenged on. If they... But but that's actually to me a great indicator of uncertainty right. and doubt. But I, you know, I don't know. I, I, I can only speculate. I mean, I do it all the time. I I think like you know how much nicer it would be to live in the space of some of these false prophets. And I feel like I went from being an eco modernist when I was uh, young in my career right. to sort of. Learning, studying the evidence, working with different people, looking at things happening in the world of conservation and environment and changed from there. So when you were calling out the eco-modernists, you would have hated me, Jason. Well, I, I, I probably was like that, too. I wasn't probably as sophisticated as you were at the time, but I probably bought into, you know, the Sierra Club sends a magazine and there's Amory Lovins getting press and Mother Jones or whatever. And I was in my own research head of starting a young family. I didn't think as deeply as I did. I always talk about the early days because I, before I joined Post Carbon Institute, I had started an organization working on climate change issues. And and I absolutely think of that time as swimming in the shallow end of the pool. Yeah. You know, it was like all focused on kind of low-scale behavioral changes. Right. You know, I, I did not have a systemic understanding of what yeah. we're facing at all. But, you know, I think some people could listen to us and say, these guys are way too certain. They act too certain. They're right. so like you know, whatever, full of their own ideas and their own perspectives. But I guess the thing I'd say about this, one is I think it's important to challenge ourselves. Mm-hmm. But two, and this is maybe is just presented as, as it could be viewed as being defensive. 
I, I would kind of flip the question and say, well, what's the consequence of being wrong? So right. what's the consequence question. of us being wrong versus the consequence of some of these false prophets? We, we have being awesome wrong. bike trails all over the place. <laughs> right. Uh, right. Well, remember Greg Craven, your former neighbor? Yeah. He had like a million something hits on YouTube. He's a oh, high school yes. teacher. Yeah, right. yeah. And he had the box with the like the four quadrants. The four quadrants. Yeah. Anyone yeah. say can you talk about that? That was around climate. Well, yeah, yeah it was all about climate and risk, right? Yeah. So the risk of us Thinking that climate, this was back in the day where they're still kind of fighting against the the hoax kind of thing. Yeah. So climate deniers. And right. it, yeah, his whole thing was, well, the risk of the deniers being right just doesn't compare to the, the collapse issues we're going to have if if those who actually understand the science are right. Yeah. And that's what's ironic about like these long termists and sort of, they understand, they understand that the technology that they're advancing could kill us all off. Right. <laughs> It, it is interesting that existential risk guys, you know, yeah. who are are pathological because they, if they're only focused on on only the risks that keep humanity in existence and that's it, right. forget the risks to like suffering and quality of life or whatever. Or even if eighty percent of us die, that's okay as long as twenty percent <laughs> can get us to space. As long as we have civilization yeah. intact and modernism. Um, so that's all insane. But but you think that there could be some like uh, contingency plans? Some thinking about like. Maybe we shouldn't put all our eggs in the basket. Well, the hunter, of, the hunter yeah. gatherers in the bunkers. Oh, right, that was their <laughs> continuous plan. You're right. That's why I, I'm being completely unfair. That's why. <laughs> that's why E.O. Wilson's got it. The fifty percent Earth. Oh, that's a great contingency. That's what a what a perfect contingency. Yeah, but it, but it's true. If I'm sorry to say this, if we're wrong, people maybe have a better quality of life. Maybe you could say people who could have lifted themselves out of energy poverty or material poverty could have. Right. Had huge, massive televisions in their houses and drive fancy cars. That's a downside, I guess, of us being wrong. But the flip side, holy yeah. shit. But we're also saying you have agency. You can take action. We have to do the opposites. Yeah. If you listen to these false prophets, most of them are basically like either we're completely doomed yeah. or we're going to solve this through advanced technology that really you have no part to play in. Yeah, it's true. And so I think that we give actually what the irony is that we give people something to do that will give them a sense of purpose and meaning in their life. And that is valuable. So what do you call a podcast without listeners? Uh, Crazy Town? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Three bloviating. <laughs> no, we have, uh, we have listeners. <laughs> no, yeah, we, we actually love our listeners and wanted to take a, just a little bit of time to highlight a few of them. Uh, so I, I said, let's each take one person who's contacted us and uh, have, a, have a miniature mailbag here. All right. So why don't okay. you kick us off a share? Well, actually, I want to I start with a critique that we got or, mm. or somebody expressing some concern about something we talked about. So one of our listeners, Laura, who is a cell and molecular biologist, and she's mm. worked in biolabs, she was concerned about what you, Jason, and I talked about, about the COVID lab leak theory. Yeah, okay. And I think she was concerned that, you know, we were, I don't know, fueling beliefs that it was a lab leak. But I think the point we're trying to make, and so I'd like to clarify that in case there's confusion, is not that we had a position on whether or not yeah. there was a lab leak or not a lab leak. But bring up the precautionary principle and sort of like the risk. Here we are in these labs, you know, with gain of function. 
doing things and we might be us doing them ostensibly because we're worried about these the risks of a virus breaking out in a pandemic but it's a little bit hubristic to think that we could do it in perfect conditions and there would never ever be a consequence like yes. like a leak happening right yeah. so whether it did in this case or not yeah we're not we don't know i think we said we don't know but they've said that the fact that it's plausible is what's worrying Right, that, and, that, and that we and don't that, take a precautionary principle or think about these risks very much, and that this technology, technology that yeah. that is getting easier and easier, and it's lowering the threshold so that you don't have to be in a biofour lab and start making some of this stuff is the concern. I'd say yeah, so. Yeah. Thank you for pointing that out. We don't want we don't want to come down on strongly that we think this is a lab leak by any means. Well, and Laura's also right in line with me. I question most things that you guys say in this <laughs> podcast. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, let's move on to Don, who is one of our most dedicated listeners. He's a former professor who studied sustainable population and other ecological topics, and now he's a farmer. Oh my gosh. So, in line with Does Jason. He like birds? Oh, I'm sure he loves birds. It's like a brother from another mother. Very, I hope so. very tasty. Uh, <laughs> so, the backstory of his email is that he also listens to Dave Gardner's Growth Busters podcast. Hmm. And he, uh, Don, had written some ideas about agricultural policy and, and sent them over to Dave. And, and in Dave's podcast, he said uh, he's making a run for president, uh, maybe a Green Party candidate or something. And he's taking Don's agricultural suggestions as his policy platform. Nice. And he, Don asked us, to catch up and and we should be running someone for president and taking his policy procedures as well. So I wanted to ask, which one of the three of us are we putting up for prez? Well, this is pretty easy. Oh. I can tell you it's not me because <laughs> I was not born in this country. So oh, you I, can't be president? I can't be president, just oh. like Ted Cruz. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. well, I was born a U.S. citizen, but I was born on foreign soil. Is that, that's the criteria? Down to you and me, Jason. Uh, but, we'll have to Rochambeau for no, that. No, it, it's not going to be me because I've already run in the past. You uh, ran for president? I didn't run, but somebody ran me on the what? steady state economics platform. Are you serious? How many <laughs> votes did you get? I had Probably him. Uh, <laughs> he sent me some bumper stickers. Actually, our uh, Bill Ryerson was my vice presidential candidate. We've really? worked with him in the past. Oh, I think you're the most experienced candidate then. <laughs> no, no, it no. Be you. No, I didn't campaign at all. Yeah. <laughs> all right, well, I'm not campaigning, that's for sure. Anyway, thanks, Don. No for wonder listening. we're so screwed. None of <laughs> yeah. us are willing to do anything. Yeah. <laughs> thanks, Don, for listening. All right, Luis, he had this funny quote. He says, Big thank you for the amazing work. My therapist seems very happy with the extra sessions. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah. That is actually, uh, we're getting paid by the uh, American yeah. Psychotherapy Association. That's right. America. We get a kickback from, uh, from BetterHelp or something like that. Right. Okay. He also had a suggestion for fixing, or I would say not improving, or making the in insufferability index even more relevant. More and insufferable? We'll, we'll get into that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Okay, we talked about attacking the person versus attacking the idea, and where we really kind of leaned into making fun of the person this season was the insufferability index. Yeah. But we heard that people found it kind of fun, and we tried to keep it lighthearted. But I thought it would be interesting to look at how we rated everybody and yeah. see who came out at the top. Who, who You're the statistician, right? Yeah, yeah, of oh course. Oh my gosh, I can't uh, wait. I wish I had a drum roll. 
most insufferable of Steve Bannon with Ooh. a score of 9.3 wow, out of 10. that's up there, dude. That yeah. is high. That's Voldemort territory. <laughs> that's definitely Tucker Carlson territory. That's Tucker Carlson yeah. territory, not Voldemort. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Voldemort's yeah. like, yeah, off the He's track. He's a 10. You, you got to drop then to Jack Welch, our greatest CEO of all time, at, at an 8.5. Then Elon Musk at 8.0. And that starts going down. Barrett Moore, our con man, doom prepper guy, 7.2. Bill Clinton, 6. And and so on. Our our least... Insufferable. I guess yeah. that's the most sufferable. Uh, yeah. is, is the two-headed monster Mark Jacobson and David Keith got a three point three. Hmm. They each got they each got three point three. I think we just scored them together. And, oh. and William McCaskill also the the long termist three point five. So it's almost like the most the more frustrating the thing they're promoting, but the more sufferable they are. Well, I think we- it's it, that gets to how we view their intentions, right? Yeah. Which which. That's right. Difference. We gave them, we gave them all a lot of cred for not being really awful people that we wouldn't want to hang out with, kind of thing. Which gets to the point, I think that yeah, that, Louise. that Louise had brought up, which is we're kind of scoring them based upon not do we want to have a beer with them or not, but a little bit more about who they are as individuals, you know. Right. And he brought up a good question, which is how would we score them in terms of like who's the most dangerous? Yes, exactly. Good, it's a good question. Okay, so I thought about the most dangerous, and what's interesting is that. I kind of came up with Steve Bannon as maybe the most dangerous, hmm. which is interesting because he also was the <laughs> highest on the score yeah. on, our, on our traditional list. So he would have he would have stayed at the top if we would have added danger. But I basically because because he represents this traditionalist movement and this in, in is into accelerationism in a sense or is aligned with a lot of accelerationists that have very very far right nationalistic veering into fascism kind of views. And I think just that's so scary for the future because I can see our society being pulled apart by this stuff. So anyway, no more. I don't need to say any more about him. That that guy scared me. Yeah, I mean, he's dangerous, but I don't think he holds a candle to Elon Musk. Just Why? from the, the, the point of being that influential. Oh? I mean, the guy... Having that much money. That much money, that much of a speaker. Twitter uh, platform. Yeah, yeah, and we talked about how he combines the characteristics of so many of these others. He, like, takes the CEO crap of Jack Welch and and combines it with the eco-modernist stuff and the long-termist stuff. And it's just like, with all that roiling around in somebody with so much reach... and. and you got to remember how recent it is that he's been kind of knocked off the pedestal just mm-hmm. a little bit, right? I mean, he he was considered such a hero. We covered that. You make a very good case, and I'm open to changing my <laughs> mind, um, but I'm not going to in this case. Yeah, I don't think you're actually open. You don't have that uh, trait. We should be glad he wasn't born in this country either because he can't run for president. That's right. Talking about dangerous. <laughs> I'm actually going to go the other way, right? Ooh, what? The two guys who scored lowest on our insufferability index, I I feel like are pretty dangerous. So we're talking about Jacobson and Keith, Mark Jacobson and David Keith. Okay. Okay. And it's and it's for this reason, which is that as we go deeper into the shit show mm-hmm. that is the 21st century, yeah, the more desperate we are going to be to address the the crises that we're facing. We're going to be dealing with energy crises and climate, and right. they're going to be much more front and center. And so the these ideas that the solutions that are available to us are electrifying everything, just mm-hmm. massive build out of renewable energy, or we got to suck carbon out of the atmosphere or geoengineer, yeah. are going to be that much more appealing. And and when you when you put those out as sort of like the only games in town, no conservation, none of the stuff that we talk about, that's dangerous to me. I that's a good point. I actually, you know, ah, you make a 
strong case. And I and actually, if you look at what's happening in the news a lot, my son my son was passing this on. You know, he kind of hears me rant, and then he he follows news and. Apparently, in the Inflation Reduction Act, you know, Build Back Better kind of program, there's so much money going to the kind of Keith sort of direct air capture technology. Yeah. And it, it is a frightening amount of money. But these things are beautiful. I mean, you know, <sighs> what's better than taking corn-based ethanol and then trying to capture the carbon from that and then building pipelines and, you know, pushing that through pipelines and then burying it in rock in the Dakotas? <laughs> that seems beautiful and perfect to me absolutely logical it is so mad it makes that my macarthur foundation 100 million dollars look like chump changes billions yeah. are going to go to this stuff yeah, and it's yeah. terrible that's true terrible terrible Terrif- Terrif- yeah terrible it's i think i'm probably it's the terrible. best word for God, it is that a malapropism i i can't tell you it's amygdalacious <laughs> okay i do that a lot don't i uh anyway sorry about that folks which gets to maybe we should rate each other and i realized that I may not score so well given yeah. given my my my, my impediment well, in speaking. Well, I know the person I least want to have a beer with in this room is me. Okay. okay? So. Yeah. Here's the thing: I don't think we should rate each other because the truth of the matter is, I love you guys and Aww. I hate myself. So, like, <laughs> right. what's the point of doing it? I, what I'd rather have is our listeners rate us. Yeah, maybe we can. Let's do get that. objective, you know, opinions from our listeners. Maybe at the crazy town hall, that right. could be one. You, of the you guys all things. suck. Personality zero. <laughs> Zero's good. Zero's good. Oh, oh, wait. So we're good. Yeah. No, they're just going to say, you guys are zeros. And we're like, yeah. Is that that bad at the end of the season? I still don't understand the ratings. That's bad. That's bad. Every decision I've ever made in my entire life has been wrong. (laughs) My life is the complete opposite of everything I want it to be. If every instinct you have is wrong, then the opposite would have to be right. Okay, regular listeners will know that we try not to just rant incessantly without giving you some ideas of of taking action or having agency, and that's our Do the Opposite segment. And I thought it would be fun or maybe uh, informative, maybe, dare I say, inspiring for each of us to share a Do the Opposite from the season that, uh, that struck you. Hmm. I'm going to break the rules quickly because I don't what? know if this is exactly a do the opposite, but we talked about this in, in the do the opposite segment of, of the Pinker episode. All right. And it's really st- stuck with me. That was one of our first episodes. Yeah, I know. I, right. have, uh, I still have a memory. It's really good. Yeah. You're like a turtle or something. Um, uh, who, who's Steven Pinker? <laughs> <laughs> He's going to be so offended. <laughs> you don't know who he is. Anyways, that whole episode is about how he want, it basically wants to hold on with both hands, you know, a death grip um, to all the progress that we've made in terms of like... Enlightenment now. A death grip on progress? Does yeah, that exactly. kill progress? <laughs> but I think, you know, all the progress, scientific progress we've made, social progress, you know, all the gains of the last few centuries. And and for me, we you know, we talked about this and I do the opposite. It's like, how do we figure out how to maintain those gains not in the context of the great acceleration where yeah. we're just consuming the living shit out of everything yeah. and growing. And having modernity surround us. And, yeah. Doing it in the context of a great unraveling and a great simplification. How do we hold on to that? That conversation is not happening anywhere. So that to me is a do the opposite. Like, let us have that conversation because I share those desires, you know, those values. And I deeply worry that we're going to lose them in the context of, of things kind of breaking apart. That was super yeah. erudite, and thank you for reminding me of that. I 
I was struck by one of the do the opposites in the Elon Musk episode, which is quite recent. So I'd have to think that far back. Yeah, cheater. Yeah, <laughs> that was actually came from my our friend Phil, who um, basically put out the idea on Earth Day of investing in what can run on solar flows and be built and repaired with natural and local materials. And I get into I I look at stuff like the, the day I was fixing, I uh, was working on the tractor, and we have this uh, wooden mallet, hmm. and you, you can imagine like. Yeah, you could make this, yeah. right? Like if you got trained in this, you could actually harvest ash trees or whatever. And you could make a wooden mallet. And I'm looking around me and like, you know how beautiful it would be if I have one of these brooms that was crafted by hand too, you know, a sorghum broom and, and hazelnut wood or whatever. I think that would be great if we had a world like that. So more people learning those skills and building building that potential. Yeah. Well, I think there's actually some, uh, I don't know if I'd call it a movement, but there's definite interest in it. You know, Mm -hmm. people are looking into how can I uh, make a blade? How can I, you know, build stuff with my hands? It's become very popular. Yeah. Folk schooling, they call it sometimes. Craft, Craft economy. Yeah. Well, you were worried yours isn't very erudite. I don't, I don't know about mine as a, um, I, it it kind of seems like a bit of folk wisdom, but I, I don't know. I just really liked it. And it's the idea of maybe it, maybe it cuts across all our false prophets. And it's like, don't engage in the wishful thinking and the, the, the delusions that you find, no matter how credentialed the people speaking mm-hmm. it may be. You know, it doesn't matter if you went to Harvard or Stanford or Yale or whatever, or, or Oxford, if we want to go to a different country. Yeah. Uh, You've really got to think if something sounds too good to be true, it probably is. And just build up. I don't want anybody to be cynical, but I definitely want us all to be skeptical. How many of our false prophets went to like an Ivy League school or Ivy League-like school like Stanford or Oxford or whatever? It's tremendous, isn't it? It's a high percentage. It'd be an interesting stat to look at. That's why I... I I dropped out of high school. That's right. You know? Yeah, no chance of getting getting into those. Well, that's true too. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think uh, along the lines of what you're saying, Rob. On some level, every one of our false prophets is evangelizing an answer. Mm-hmm. You know, in all caps, like whether they're presenting as the answer and other things are not the answer. Like it, it's somehow a solution. And doing the opposite is is constantly testing our own beliefs in in a simple answer of any kind, right? Mm-hmm. And and in our certainty as cracks in, in the facade of industrial society sort of break open. Yeah, well, somebody who has really brought to the forefront this idea of testing your own beliefs is Megan Phelps Roper. And Jason, you mentioned that podcast, The Witch Hunt of J.K. Rowling. The Witch Trials, yeah. Trials, yeah. Uh, Megan actually was the host of that podcast, and she had gained a a fair amount of fame, at least sort of the TED Talk variety of fame, yeah. when she broke away from this church that had, uh, you know, the horrible anti-gay... Westboro. Yeah, right. Westboro Baptist, yeah. And I don't know, I, I'm really fascinated by her. Like, she seems like just a really kind-hearted, thoughtful person, which is amazing given her background. And she had these six questions that you should ask yourself about how you think because the idea was when she was in that church, she and they were all convinced that they were on the righteous yeah. side yeah, and they were doing wonderful things. And right? what was interesting about her story, too, is that the more vitriol and hatred they got back for all the hatred that they put out, the more certain they became, right? right? The more 
they felt like they were actually sacrificing and they were committed to, in a sense, the cause. It was reinforcing their certainty, right. you know? Yeah. Um, right. And it took people, her interacting with people actually on Twitter, of all places, who took a lot of time to be patient with her. Mm-hmm. That the, that kind of cracked open. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's different from us where we sit here and make fun. Well, and, so that's to do the opposite. Don't do what we do, right. listeners. Don't mock people well, all and, the time. You know, we need to learn from this too. I don't want to yeah. steal. I mean, I'm, I'm just going to read her six questions to ask yourself, but definitely encourage our listeners to look up Megan Phelps Roper and, and follow some of the things that she's saying. First question is, are you capable of entertaining real doubt about your beliefs or are you operating from a place of certainty? Mm-hmm. And you know, we've already said, get used to the gray areas. Second question, can you articulate the evidence that you would need to see in order to change your position? Or is your perspective unfalsifiable? Yeah. Mm. That's a tough question. And, and uh, That's a great one. Yeah. Third one, can you articulate your opponent's position in a way that they'd recognize? Or are you straw manning? Yep. That's mm-hmm. a great one, too. Yeah. Fourth, this one, I want all of us to pay close attention. Are you attacking ideas or attacking the people who hold them? We're gonna change do a little bit of both. I know, I we're we're gonna change our format next season. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Sorry, Megan. Fifth, are you willing to cut off close relationships with people who disagree with you, particularly over relatively small points of contention? Mm-hmm. And then the sixth question is are you willing to use extraordinary means against people who disagree with you, such as forcing them out of their jobs or homes, using violence or threats of violence, celebrating their misfortune or tragedy. Hmm. Yeah, really, really worth thinking about these and and maybe go through the thought exercise, the mental exercise, you know, like that falsifiable and being able to articulate what evidence you I could tell you if we could get $3 gas from sucking carbon out of the atmosphere and turning into gasoline. Yeah, that would be falsifiable. And Uh as soon as we move in. That could happen. As soon as you can move into an O'Neill space colony at an affordable rate. I will change my mind. Yeah, me too. And and as soon as I can get a a little portable personal nuclear reactor to to, to hook up to my tractor. Yeah. Golden. Yeah, okay. No, but I think that, yeah, the embracing of the uncertainty, the being flexible, the question, I think that is really important stuff. The other thing, though, that comes to mind is that one of the things I remember learning about is that people's belief system is often tied to what they actually do. So, for example, when I was you know, doing a lot of this organic farmland conversion, my thought process was, I think I talked to you about it, Rob, was that a lot of people are going to look at this as maybe suspicious, like you're, you're, you're doing organic farming instead of the stuff way we've always done it here you know, for the last 40, 50 years. Right. But if it actually works and you do it well, people then, by doing it, by actually seeing it, will then start to say, you know what? I actually believe in this too. So this is, again, belief systems are often a function of what your experience in the world is, the reality of your experience, rather than just these ideas that might come in. And that's why I remember early on, I said, a lot of these guys are in the are in this sort of high-level academic world, political world. But when you, get, when you get your hands dirty in the real world, and you're forced to change how you actually behave on a day-to-day basis, maybe interacting with nature, using your hands, you know, building things. Then I think, you know, that's another opening for ideas to your mind to change. Yeah. I want to sort of end the 
this season and this episode with some some appreciation. Hmm. Can we do that? Yeah, yes. that's that's very easy actually. I, I I'll start with just appreciating the team behind Crazy Town. Uh, obviously, you guys, but maybe more importantly, uh, Melody, our producer, Alana, our researcher. We've got Taylor helping us out with transcripts. Uh, so much behind the scenes help that people are doing. We've got Clara helping us with promotions and the whole team and staff at, at PCI that helps us uh, get this out to everybody and and does the uh, helps us with the crazy town hall and and then posting it on resilience.org, which is a great outlet for people to see at the yeah, show. So and, and our donors, who you know the the people who actually give PCI money for this. This show. Yeah. I really appreciate it. Yeah. And of course, everybody who takes the time to listen, thanks so much. Yeah. And we like hearing from you. So thanks for writing to us as um, well. And I know you're going to hate this, Asher, but I, I do want to appreciate something that I, I really get from the two of you, which is there's a, a, a camaraderie in discussing these really tough topics that I think it really helps me process it. You know, I, I could see myself going down a dark, dark tunnel if I were just thinking about these existential threats all on my own and not coming up with ideas for what we could do differently and and, and just laughing along the way with it and keeping things light amongst so many dark topics. It's, it, it's, it's super, really important. It's super important to be able to have conversations like this with other people. And, you know, there's a there's an epidemic of sort of loneliness in America. There's isolation. There's a there's a fear of talking about difficult things because of political polarization. So I find it very important for me personally that we can actually have these conversations. And I hope that that's what we're also helping our listeners have is finding these topics, finding these ways to talk about things, maybe hopefully with other people as well. Because, again, it, everything is so complex and difficult to comprehend like no no one mind can hold all this right and weigh all the trade-offs and difficulties with dealing with this well that's why every time you start talking i just make a poop joke (laughs) (laughs) i think that um we were very intentional with this podcast so we knew that there we've we've heard from people over the years who feel alone out there with with this and why we called it crazy town because it feels like either we're crazy or the world is crazy and it's kind of hard to be in that space so Hopefully, you know, our listeners don't feel quite so alone if they're experiencing that. But also, we have this kind of plug this season, trying to encourage all of our listeners to to share a specific episode or share the podcast more generally with like three friends. And part of the reason we want to encourage people to do that is, yes, we'd like to spread the word, have more people listen. But also, maybe it's an opening to have conversations with other people. And sometimes it's hard to know how to do that. It's hard to bring up these topics. It's hard to feel like you're the Debbie Downer in in a situation. So, you know, if this show could help start some conversations with others. But no matter what you do, whether it's it's talking about these things, it's, it's laughing about the absurdity of the world and laughing into the face of darkness, it's doing direct action with other people. It's birding, you know, mm-hmm. you. Uh, whatever the hobby is. Riding the bike. Yeah. Just don't go it alone. Find that camaraderie. I think one thing is is abundantly clear to me is that there is no going it alone on any level in what we're facing. And that having camaraderie, having connection with other people, with the more than human, these are the only ways through what we're facing. So hopefully you have that in your life if you don't seek it out. So basically, we're just saying to all our listeners, go out there and have a good time. <laughs> yeah. 
we all love those phone apps that help us identify the sounds we are hearing, whether it is a song on the radio or a bird in the bush. Now listeners and supporters of Crazy Town can get exclusive access to our false evangelical con man app for lies, or fecal. Trained on the groundbreaking false prophet taxonomy paper, plus thousands of hours of YouTube videos, including over 300 TED Talks, this neural network is the most advanced and convenient bullshit detector ever invented. Maybe you are attending a talk on a college campus, at a business or technology conference, a campaign event, or even just overhearing some blowhard sitting next to you at a bar. Hold up your phone, launch our app, and identify the most likely false prophet species in your midst while conveniently highlighting the diagnostic phrases they are spouting. Fecal. Shit is being flung all around you. Be alert, be informed, and don't get splattered. Crazy town. Da, 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 da. Crazy town. Okay, so a couple of weeks back, I brought up my birding, my birding stats. Right. Yeah. And and I was hoping that maybe that some of our listeners would be interested in how I they're, did for them. They're not. How? No, let's just wait with me because. <laughs> I did. I did get 111 species no, for the month of April. I, they don't care. And my target was 100. We're not putting this in the episode. And Wait, I, you got 111. I got 111. Do not 11 encourage over. him. What and, you... and so here's the. I didn't even go to the coast. Oh, oh wow! It's all within the Willamette Valley. Stop. Stop. This is like. It's like That's he's amazing. addicted to now, a drug. Here's We're what's true. Cool. I know, but it's birds. I'd rather him <laughs> be addicted to that than I, like yeah. porn. Exactly. This is this is keeping me you know, on the up and up. I'm getting outside. He's outside. I'm listening. I think I think our listeners are going to want to know. No, no, they actually probably. Oh don't. my god! Why not? <laughs> Tell them your favorite bird. Oh my gosh! I have no idea. They're so wonderful. I think I like hooded mergansers. Recently. 